morning, everybody, and welcome to the True Potential Do More With Your Money podcast. It is Friday, the 26th of February, and it is episode 57. And today we're, we're going to uh, stay topical and we're going to talk about Boris's roadmap, what it means for the UK economy, but also what it means for the uh, wider investor set as well. And to help discuss that today, delighted to be joined by Peter Bold by Jeff Casson and by David Harrison. So good morning, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for joining me this morning. Um, plenty to talk about. Obviously, the, the, the roadmap announcement was at the beginning of this week, and we've now got, you know, until June to watch how this does or doesn't unravel. And, and Jeff, as you were saying just, just before we started recording, you've got your own roadmap as well. So we'll, we'll be able to hear, hear the, the spin from, from the other side of the border today. But before we get into that, maybe, Jeff, if, if you wouldn't mind talking about the week, the month that's been, um, and maybe some sort of preliminary expectations for March and beyond, please. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dan. Morning, everybody. Um, just in terms of markets over the week, and then I suppose expanding that out into the what we've seen over the course of the month, it's been really a month where we've been thinking about what's been happening in, in sovereign bond markets and how that's been um, playing out in people's thoughts around economic growth, economic improvement, but also what comes with that is, is slight concerns about the direction of inflation. And that's really been at the front and centre of, of sovereign bond markets over the, the course of the month and something that has, as a trend, very much accelerated over the course of this week. So to put some numbers around that so that, that people have a, a feeling for it, if we look at UK gilts, for example, we've seen yields there move from 32 basis points to 80 basis points this morning. So quite a quite a material move in gilts. And that's the same as we look across the US Treasury market and we look at, at other sovereign bonds as well. So that has been a real influence on on asset prices, particularly into to the equity markets where we have seen then a bit of weakness over the course of, of this week, um, particularly in the growth orientated areas of the market, those that are much more dependent on their, their longer term um, cash flows. So that, that has been a, a bit of a, a headwind for the market. But I think if you take a step back and you look at it and you look within that, um, you're actually seeing global equity still up at this point in time. So up about a percent over the course of the month. But there's quite a significant bit of rotation within that. So value, as we've touched on, as a style relative to growth has been much better over the course of this month. Values outperformed by about 4%. That's, that's got real step change um, over the, the course of this month. And we play that through and look at that in certain equity markets. And if we look at, say, the US, the NASDAQ 100, down about 5% 5 over the week. But we look at the FTSE, FTSE's down 50 bips over the week. Now, that's about the, the, the differences in, in market makeup. So one's very much orientated to high growth technology, FTSE, financial sector, energy sector, materials, large and significant components of, of that index. That plays through to some of the themes that we've been seeing then at a sector level. By that, I mean what's happening in the energy market. So oil price has been very strong and that has fed through into to energy being the best performing sector over the course of the month. The second best performing sector, financials, something that we haven't been able to say for, for quite a long time, energy and financials being your, your best performing sectors. Again, the performance of financials is very much driven by what we're seeing in the bond market. Um, as the bond, as the yield curve steepens, yes, it speaks to economic growth, but it's also better 
for for financial companies business models in the sense that they borrow borrow short and lend long so they make a spread on on that business if you get a, a steepness in the yield curve that's a, a real positive for it for the financial sector and that that's really been the sort of the key theme that's played out there one of the things that will will come on and i'm sure discuss around the roadmap is just what's been happening with sterling so we've seen sterling uh, be be relatively strong over the course of the month move very close to to, to one dollar forty one, um, which is somewhere where we haven't been since since April eighteen. So quite a bit of a a change there as well. So lot, lots to talk about, lots going on within markets. But really, the key focus has been around what's been happening in sovereign bond markets, the rate of change within sovereign bond markets, and the implications that that has for for other asset classes over the course of the month. Perfect. Thanks, Jeff. And let's move across to, to the roadmap side of things and maybe we'll we'll use our political cartographer, uh, Peter Bold, maybe to uh, the big, big word there, Peter, I have a researcher. Um, but, uh, Do you know what it means? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but it, it looks big. It's a big word. So that, that'll do from the start of the day. But, but um, maybe, Peter, you, you, you could talk about some, some of the, the roadmap which has been announced this week and, and the intention with that, please. Yeah, there's two two things that particularly struck me, if you like, from it. Uh, first one was, um, you know, Boris was very clear, didn't he, that, that we're going to be living with COVID. He, he talked about there is no such thing as COVID zero. We're not going to get to a point where this doesn't exist. Probably, probably plays, if you like, to some of the discussions we've had over the last year on the podcast. And just you generally pick up talking to friends and colleagues that there's a general view out there that this is probably going to end up something like the flu where you get your annual jab and it takes care of different variants we don't know that of course because we don't know enough about the virus yet to know whether it can if, if you like mutate um you know forever like, like, like the flu virus does but that seemed to be part of his um speech on monday was almost preparing us for the fact that there is no such thing as covid zero so therefore where does that take you it's then how you live with it and that's a that, that's a different position. I know perhaps it's been in our head and we've talked about that, but for the government to announce that is a is a move because up until now, it's all been about the R rate. And if the R rate's going up and it's above one, we're into lockdown or restrictions. If it's falling, you may be coming out. We're moving away from that because if you look at the the four, if you like, levels and tests of where we are uh, as we go through coming out of lockdown, none of it is talking about the R rate. So none of these dates are anchored to, I know the earliest dates and they could fall back, but none of the tests, if you like, are about R. What does that mean? I took that to mean that the government accepts that, you know, as long as um, you, you could be prepared to tolerate an increase in infections at some point in the year and, and thereafter, but as long as, because of the vaccine rollout, as long as that increase in infections is not leading to a mass surge and people ending up in hospital and on intensive care units, then, you're having to just manage it and get on with it. You're having to just cope with the fact that yes, we're all, we're, if you haven't had COVID, you may well get it. You might well feel a bit poorly. The vaccination program should at least take the worst effects of it out of the way. So we move on. And I think that was maybe the, the significance of the speech on Monday. I mean, roadmaps, you know, political jargon, all the rest of it to one side. The significance I think was this not having government policy and therefore public policy anchored on an R8. Thanks, Peter. And so, so a lot of these rules start to get eased from from the eighth of March, and then eventually taking us through to no earlier anyway than the twenty first of June. And you know, there's yeah. the 
four stages, as you mentioned. I also noted that we we came down a level yesterday as well, hadn't we? We went from a level five to level four. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's all, all good signs. And you're right. I mean, you know, from the 8th of March, I know it's different in Scotland a little bit. They've kind of got the schools back, I think, a bit earlier, but then later on some of the other measures. So, you know, there's obviously the usual, if you like, differences that we've become used to. But, but yes, for England, at least 8th of March, schools will go back. Two people can meet outdoors. 29th of March, um, <clears throat> back to that rule of six again, but no regional tiers. We're not, we're not doing the tier system after this. And then, yeah, we fast forward to the 12th of April. Non-essential, we can all get a haircut, non-essential retail, that sort of thing. Um, 17th of May, which incidentally is the day before my birthday. We can get down the pub on the 17th of May. So you can see that's, that's <laughs> called influence for you. Um, and then 21st of June, as you say, all restrictions lifted. Um, you know, all legal limits lifted. Um, but they're earlier states, as you say, there's a lot, a lot of time. To happen. Just one thing, there was obviously a lot of excitement and disappointment in, in equal measure on Monday. Some people excited that we were now going somewhere, obviously in some of the various industries, got a long way to go yet. But uh, just when I mentioned haircuts there that we probably all do with, we've been in lockdown, this lockdown, for I think it's just over seven weeks now. And there's seven weeks to go still until you get to that phase. So we're not by any means you know, coming out of this imminently, we've got almost as long to go as we've had in terms of getting out there for a, a haircut and a pint longer for a pint, in fact. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, reading the days the other day when it was announced and all the way through to June 21st, there's more than 100 days still to go as well. Yeah. So it's, it's. But I suppose it, it, it works on that, that behavioural side of, of people's kind of psyche, which is if you give people an end goal to work toward, time should go faster rather than it just... Mm. You don't have an end goal things can drift uh, a, a wee bit um they did say as well that it's irreversible just to say daniel you've used the word irreversible a lot yeah um, now look you know let's see but he's obviously under as we discussed on the podcast a few weeks ago when we first of all you know gave everyone the heads up of this roadmap we said you know the political pressure and you saw some of that in the debates in the week was um is, is still very high and i think he's and i think he believed in i think boris accepts and we talked before um, before Christmas, when that the four of us were last together on the podcast, I think, you know, about why Boris has not been able to get ever get ahead of this. And some of that is just his instinct around not wanting to take people's liberties and freedoms away to his own detriment. He's probably probably would have had been better in the polls and looked better had he just taken been a bit more decisive and been a bit more keen to lock things down, for example, or go completely the other, other way and not do it. But he's mm. found himself in this funny middle ground. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's 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 all promising. Um, <clears throat> but still, still quite a way to go. Thanks, Peter. And and David, some of the the questioning or the the, the maybe the criticism which which uh, Johnson's had this week. Uh, some people have said this easing is too slow. Um, it's it's too conservative. Other people have said it's a bit too reckless as well. It's it's too fast. Um, what 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 what's your personal view? Is is is, is it about right? It's too slow. Um... It's undoubtedly for me too slow, Daniel. Um, I think uh, anybody says it's too reckless. Uh, they, they're just not dealing with data, not dealing with hard data. Um, for example, uh, can you remember when he used to get the flu? Can you remember that that disease, the flu? Um, there hasn't been one single recorded cases case of flu since 28th of December until today in England. Okay, so what's happened to that? 
And of course, you won't get flu. You won't get any disease at all, any disease, if you sit in the house. You'll only get diseases which are in the house. You will, of course, eventually die because you just wear out. But, you know, you're not going to get any immunity to anything, you know, uh, by doing what we're doing at the moment. So it, we've said this before. I've said to anybody, you know, I, I was I've, I've been vaccinated. My wife is still not waiting for a vaccine and she went to pick up some. She's on medication for um, rheumatoid arthritis. So she, when she went to get her medicine yesterday, she said, I know I'm not allowed to ring up because your phone system says, you know, press one if you want a walking stick, press two if you want a hearing aid, speak up, press three if you, and if it's about COVID, don't bother contacting us, you know. And, you know, if I was a doctor, I would think, I wonder why people are trying to contact me. I wonder why, why my patients are trying to contact me right now. I wonder what they're worried about. Oh, that's right. They're worried about the medicines. They're worried about COVID. That's your job, is to talk to people. Have somebody talk to them about it. Oh, he's not bothered about it. But she was bothered yesterday when she was talking to the receptionist, who then told her that my doctor's practice had now jumped a thing, left her behind. Her and a whole lot of other people at that level, they've jumped to a younger group because they think that's the right thing to do. So she's had to try and uh, she's got booked into the Nightingale Centre in Sunderland, um, you know, so in order to get in, uh, vaccinated on Saturday. But, you know, you get, well, what can go wrong? Well, that can go wrong. That, that's what can go wrong is when somebody, you know, like Johnson says, this is what we're going to do, everybody believes it, then individual doctors decide, well, in our area, it might be better to go and vaccinate somebody who is younger, then we'll get back. And, and, and Sylvia, my wife, said, so when, when will I be getting mine? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But probably within two months, probably in two months' time. You think, well... Right, fine. There's but loads of examples the... of this now, isn't there? Of people yeah. who, who are in their fifties. I've got to meet someone in London who's in his forties and he's had it. And yeah. you think this is crazy. And it's you well, know it's... what was great, David. Just to that point was when we when we did the first one. It was the four groups, fifteenth of February, dead clear, and it worked. Yeah. Why? As we've said on this podcast before, there'd be no time to complicate the system. But now no one seems to have a clue. If you live in one postcode, you might be in the fifties. If you live in another postcode, you can be in your sixties and have still not had a letter. It's getting complicated. It's getting messy, like the tier system did, where people just lose track completely, and then the whole thing. So they're, they're at risk now of turning what's been a great success into looking like a, a mess, frankly. Yeah, well, I think it was I think it was you, Peter, or maybe been David said last time we were all speaking, I think three or four weeks ago, the vaccination programmes worked really well because it was centrally controlled and the bureaucrats hadn't had the chance to get their hands on it yet. Yeah. Kind of. What David's saying there, it sounds there like the bureaucrats have got their hands on it and they're now starting to make these regional decisions instead of just keeping it very clear. This is the national strategy. We're working from this priority group to that priority group to that priority group. And they should should stick to it. And that way everybody knows where they are. Because um, it doesn't take much. All of a sudden, you, you're right, Peter. I, I know someone who's 34-year-old, fine health, got it. Um, yeah. I, I was la laughing about something, I can't remember I said this on the podcast, so apologies. There was a 20-something-year-old got it. Um, he was in the news. And the reason why was because uh, the NHS had recorded his height wrong. 
They had him down as six inches high and like 15 still. He's the most clinically obese person in the universe, I think. His BMI was off the charts. It turned out the lad was six, six foot 15 stone. But, you know, so he was in the news saying, I've, I've, you know, I've had it. You know, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's funny, we've went the other direction in terms of having it being more administered by the GP surgeries and going down through the, the various different um, age groups, which was working well, to then to something that now is is getting centralised and is not working as well. So it, it's just, it, it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? When you just think of the two different countries, completely two different approaches and something that was working well in both is now not working as well as it should be. If one could just, I suppose, put in place a much more national way of dealing with it, we'd end up with a better conclusion. Yeah. But it just seems that we can't can't do that. Well, at it goes. All. It, it go, it's funny, isn't it? Because it goes against what your instinct would. You should think. Well, someone three hundred miles away in Whitehall trying to tell the local GB surgery, which is probably a three minute walk from where I'm sat now for me. Are they not better knowing how many vaccines they've given? Who's on the list? You know, surely they're going to know better. But it never seems to work. This. So my. I've got this. As David knows, we've spoken about this before. I have a. A, a curious opinion when it comes to devolution and localism and all this stuff. It should work, but it never seems to work as well as you you would want it to. No, I, th I think you know the, the, my instincts are would would be give it to the GPs because yeah. you know they they they've got a finite amount of patients. They've got the patients' records. They uh, should be up to date, and clearly you know. Um, if they just kind of followed, not orders, but just direction, what we then know is the whole of England, at least, would be at the same stage, which was, you know, what, what, what's, what, whether you agreed with that stance or not, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you think that's the right thing or the wrong thing. Once you decide to do something, it's the same as in business. Once you decide to do something, follow that plan. Um, otherwise, you won't know if it's working. You won't know if it's a bad decision or just a bad execution of your plan. If everybody's just doing what they think, you don't know as, as a leader what's going on, and therefore you make bad decisions. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've been on record saying it, it's an interesting decision to vaccinate according to age, um, because you know the the, the clear objective there could be no other objective than to save lives of older people. Yeah. On top of which, the data shows us, and I think I, I believe the data now, I think, you know, by by now you've got enough data, you've got enough facts and figures there. You can certainly believe the data about how many people have died, for example. That one's particularly hard to fake, you know. Um, if, if you look at the data, if you look, go back 12 months, go back to the start of this, 99% of people who've died are in the age group of 70 and above. So there's hardly anybody of the, the people I'm looking at on, on the call who I'm in that higher, a, higher age group. So, you know, I, I should have been concerned in case I got caught it because there was a higher percentage for me that I would die than the people I'm, I'm looking at on the screen today. Um, so whether you, whether you think that's the right approach or not, my my view was 
we should give it to people and get them back to school and get them back to work. Um, and yes, of course, you're going to get a surge. But the surge you will get are in people who've been, who are working, who are young, who have not suffered from the disease the way that older people have. And to a certain extent, you just say to the older people, including me, just stay in the house for a little bit longer. You know, just just don't see the grandchildren. Just don't go for a haircut. Who the hell? I mean, they must they must be soft in the head. Go, oh, I need a haircut. You know, just cut your hair. But the major the, the major breakthrough that's that's been get rid of that sugar coating. There's plenty of that goes on in any case. You know, there's plenty of lockdown heroes and that. There's plenty of that going on without me adding to it. Um, what saved our bacon here are private big pharma companies, you know, which under normal circumstances, politicians have a go at, don't they? You know, they're supposed to work for free, you're supposed to do this, we, we're going to tax them, we're going to do this. If, if Amazon was a pharmaceutical company, you know, they'd be wanting to drag the CEO through the streets, you know, um, on the title of the back of a chariot because of whatever. Well, it happens to be the pharmaceutical companies now are great. You know, um, and it's an interesting. Is. It's an interesting thought, that isn't it? When you think about sort of political rhetoric in the U.S. and up then through the the election campaign, it was all very much about big tech and technology being the the, the bad influence. If you would go back four years, it would all have been about pharma and the role of, of pharmaceutical companies, yeah. healthcare companies, Medicare companies, and how they are you know profiting from from people's ill health yeah you know you look today as you say david and you've seen it within the space of nine months we've went from identification of a virus to a to a vaccine which is, is pretty much unheard of um in, in in a historical context if you look back at whatever you think measles or whatever it took us seven years to get a, a, a vaccine that was successful and could be used and that's been enabled by by technology and, and technology evolution, yet that's not really acknowledged at all at this point in time with with pharma companies. They're just they're they're, they're, they're being they're not being I suppose they're not getting the 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 the, the, the credence the thanks for for what they've done um, when they you know if it hadn't been for that you wouldn't have had a vaccine as quickly as we have. What what you what you seem to get instead, Jeff, you seem to get the kind of the conspiracy theorists coming out saying, well, seven months nowhere near long enough, and instead of you know the, the reality, I've I've got a couple of friends who are PhD chemists, as you know, and they just said this is the way every vaccine should be. We've had all of the political power pushing the regulators to basically they say so much time gets wasted. Because the regulators tend to be academics and professors as yep. well, so I'll I'll have a look at that, and then I'll have another look at it in a few months' time because I'm 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 on my holidays now, and then I'll have another look at it in a couple of months' yeah. time. Yeah. Whereas this time you've had the government saying, "No, you'll sit at your desk and you'll look at the data, and we'll test, and we'll look at the data, and we'll test, and we'll look at the data," and then you've had all of the money behind it as well, and it's just they they've said, hopefully this this has kind of opened the door. This this should be a great way to eradicate a lot of future diseases. Yeah. I think it's been great. I, I totally agree with that. There was a program on TV last night about this, uh, and they, they were visiting Oxford and AstraZeneca where they made those the vaccine. And you know, you think 
that they're they're the superstars. You know, the the, day, the, the genetic code came in at midnight. She, she's in the lab the next day. You know, injecting it into a a non um, you know or a, if you like a dormant virus that wouldn't do any harm. And, and there it is, and into the machines and off it goes. Brilliant. That's brilliant science and brilliant um, a brilliant effort across everyone to do that. I think you end up in two camps, don't you? You either and I saw some some ex politicians and current politicians saying I'm a bit dubious about this vaccine. You know, it should normally take five years. To your point, Dan. And you come down, I think you end up in one or two camps. You're either thinking, I'm dubious because why have they done it in seven months when it should take five years? Or you're in the other camp where I am, where you're thinking, why would it ever take five years? Why should it ever take five years to do that? that? I think the thing there is, and it's really quite crucial if we think about the Moderna vaccine, it uses a very different technology and it uses genetic sequencing to to do that. Mm -hmm. And that is where technology and computing power has, has monumentally changed how one can think about building and constructing vaccines and or other medical treatments going forward. And that's, I think, you know, the real real step change that it takes people a, lot, a long time to, 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 to see technological change, but that's technological change in the, the research and development area of, of, of pharmaceuticals. It's the same as we think about technology change in, in other areas of, of, of development and R&D. It enables things yeah. to move faster. And we kind of accept that in certain areas. We think about social media. People can tweet, do whatever they want really quickly. We accept that as being really, really fast and swift when it comes to something like this, because it's slightly more complex and more um, more understanding is needed of it. it it's kind of dismissed, um, but it is a, it's a step change in, in how technology enables vaccine and, and medical development. I only hope, uh, Jeff, I agree with everything you say in there. I only hope that um, not only do we learn from this, because you'd have to be pretty dim not to be learning big lessons from what we've been going through. Um, But we we change the way that we operate uh, as a result of this. So, um, you know, development of vaccines, very super quick. Um, If you like the following of a roadmap, once again, the roadmaps, it, you know, which is the, the reason for the po- podcast, I suppose. Bits of it don't, doesn't make any sense. Bits of it are, you know, um, you, know you, you can meet outside, you can do this, you can meet total strangers, you can do all that, but yet you can only have a wedding. That's a, you know, right now for 15 people and you can't have anything, you can't have a reception afterwards. So nobody really... You know, in the hotel trade, that doesn't help them at all. Um, then, oh, you can have a wedding for up to 30 people. Hurrah. I mean, have you ever been to a wedding with 30 people? Um, there's normally more than that, by the way. But you can't do anything on the night time. So you can have the, the thing during the day. You can have the boring bit. And then uh, you can't let your, your hair down afterwards. Um, because... The virus only comes out on the night time. Virus only comes, which is, you know, we're learning about this virus. It only comes out on certain occasions. You can meet the same people under a different heading and you won't get the virus. But if you meet them again in a different, in a different setting, you'll catch it and, and so on. So there's, there's some sense in what they're doing, but there's still nonsense in the way that somebody, some, you, can, you can imagine some kind of nerd categorizing and being really, really, I mean, for some people, this is the pinnacle of their career. They've got 
minor petty regulations coming out of their, you know, of their pens left, right, and centre here. And it, I, I don't know who writes it all down. I just never want to meet them. I think they'll be dreadfully, dreadfully boring. Um, I hope we learn. We learn from this. I hope we, we, compute uh, the, these changes. It's strange. I, I've got stuff. I've got people who work for me in the West Indies, and uh, I've got a text, um, a WhatsApp yesterday to say uh, I've been offered offered the AstraZeneca. Uh, I think this is a a girl who's uh, in her late thirties. Um, the staff are around about the same age, a little bit older, some are a little bit younger than her. Um, they've all been offered it, you know, and she wrote to me, what should I do? And I said, you know, send it to me. <laughs> My wife needs it, you know. But, you know, she said, do you think it's any good? <laughs> and I, said, I said, well, I've, I've, I had the posh one, I had the Pfizer one. You know, that AstraZeneca seems to have been done on the cheap. But you've got to be careful because, unfortunately, you know, um, what you would think is that's just David joking. <laughs> you get a hold of them and go, no, that AstraZeneca thing is no, it's just done on the cheap according to our boss, you know, and then you have a, a revolution. Um, so I just said, yeah. But strange enough, the, the, one of the guys that was a gardener has refused it because he said, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't been through enough testing for him. <laughs> so, you know, we've got worldwide authorities on these... Uh, World, the world over. Justin, uh, our gardener, uh, says, no, it's not been tested enough. I'm not having it. Um, but it's strange. There, there you go. There's a bunch of people um, in, in Antigua getting offered it. Um, and, you know, we're beating ourselves up because we're not tackling it worldwide. Well, we, we, we must be. Somebody must have sent them that. I don't know where they got it from. Probably China. They would have sent them that, uh, that Chinese one. Um, so who was it the other day said that it was, it was the, the Hungarian Prime Minister, one of those who get, they're getting this uh, Chinese uh, vaccine put in <laughs> and he said in tongue in cheek I think I will get it from the Chinese because they've had this longest <laughs> they've, got, they've had the most experience with this, I think they have you know, it's, probably, it's probably been in China for a couple of years So with um Jeff, you were, you, you were talking about the, the markets and, and the introduction side of things. And, and with this roadmap, I suppose that the, if we look at the UK side of things, I suppose hospitality, retail, you know, the roadmap more or less affects those two sectors. Has, yep. has it been seen positively by them? Or? Certainly it's been, it's been seen positively in terms of the, the, the share price reaction. To some of those those types of companies over the the course of the week as that as more information has emerged, but I suppose like anything, when somebody's telling us that you know their their bookings or whatever have went up a thousand percent, it's probably off a very low number. So yeah. It, yeah. it's always going to get a big percentage change. And I think you know just going back to our, our, our conversation there, it's one of the things that might come out of this is that that people understand statistics and data a little bit more or have a willingness to look at it a little bit more. And that, that I think, would be a really positive outcome of, of where we are, such that you go and think critically about something. Where, where did that number come from? What does it actually mean? Um, so, yeah, you, you've seen a, a positive reaction in, in those areas of the market. I think the, the, the big thing, really, about what's been happening within the UK market itself has been 
it's with two things. One, the strength of the, the small and the mid cap area of the market. So those businesses that are more economically sensitive, tied into the domestic economy and the improvement there, they, they have been seeing positive share price reaction. But what we need then to see as these businesses are able to reopen, we need to see how this impacts their earnings potential and how that feeds in over the next 12 months and, and over and beyond that period. The other thing that's is, is influencing the FTSE, and I, I touched on this, is really the energy names and, and the financials in particular. So it's not as much driven by the domestic economy as opposed to what's happening internationally. And, you know, it is commodity prices have increased. That's been a positive for materials, positive for energy companies. It tends to be a good leading indicator of economic growth as well. So economic growth globally, economic growth in, in the UK also benefiting. I think just maybe finally on, on, on the UK side of things as well, a lot of the improvement that we're seeing in, in sterling um, typically has been associated with, you know, maybe more of a negative performance from the, the larger cap area of the market because they're more sensitive to, to international earnings. That's not been been seen to the same extent over the past couple of weeks. So what does that potentially suggest to, to, to me that more international capital is potentially looking at, at UK assets coming in? So you're getting the, the overall market move up at the same time as sterling is, is, is strengthening. Um, why is that? Well, we know that the UK has been a, a laggard um, in terms of, of market performance, that sector makeup as well. Um, but valuations, valuations are very attractive for UK assets. And that could be one reason that we're seeing both trade buyers coming in and looking at UK assets, but also international allocators, i.e. those of large pension funds, putting some money to, to work in, in the UK market as well. So it's an interesting dynamic between what we see in the domestic economy, how that impacts the, the FTSE 250, and then what we see in the, the larger cap area of the market, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, and, and how that impacts the, 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 the FTSE 100. So positive sentiment there, um, definitely. Um, we just need to see a number of that being being delivered as the roadmap works its way through and, and activity does, and, does improve. Thanks, Jeff. And just, just, just to help some, some of the audience who haven't heard us talk about it before, you, you obviously mentioned the FTSE 250 versus, say, the FTSE 100. And, and kind of what, what, why the differentiation in, in terms of kind of international domestic outlook? It's just um, so if we think about the, the, the FTSE 100, we have a larger proponent of, of international companies. So more of their revenue comes from overseas. Whereas if we contrast that with the FTSE 250, we would probably say that the majority of their revenue is coming from, from the UK domestic economy. So that's why we get that difference in, in performance and difference in, in sensitivity to, to the currency. So to maybe, you know, it's the same as if we go on, I suppose, on holiday, it has the same impact um, for ourselves in terms of the exchange rate that we get. If, if sterling is, is, is strengthening, that's a positive for us. But if you're earning a lot of overseas revenue, you bring that back to, to sterling. It's it's a negative. It's sterling strong. That's that's the dynamic that it that it works in terms of those larger companies versus the the the, the FTSE 250. Good. Thanks, Jeff. And, and Peter, what that means to you when you when you're on holiday in, in Magaluf later this year, you can get a pint cheaper now. Oh, that's good news. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Never mind that vaccine. A cheap pint. I'll just take that. That'll, that'll you'll need the vaccine and the vaccine passport, however, maybe to, to yeah. get us there. Well, what's interesting is because there's only 50, they reckon about 50% of the population's ever going to get this vaccine. So I know we all think it's the silver bullet that's going to, everyone's going to be protected, but it's oh. not because, as David was pointing out before, uh, you know, they reckon about 15 to 20% of the population won't take it. There's another 10% who it won't be effective on, and nobody under 18 is allowed it. So. There's only about half of the population ever gets it. So all those uh, all those people who've just turned 18 that want to fly off for a, that, that sit next to David on the EasyJet in the Benidorm or whatever, wherever David goes on holiday, you know, they won't have had it, David. You'll, you'll have to get that speedy boarding pass to make sure you're at the front to keep away from all oh, those 18, 19-year-olds who probably won't have it. No, we're good. Well, look, you know, we, 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 we've got a, a roadmap at last. It's... Um... You know, maybe it is too conservative. Uh, time will tell with 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 that one or not. But at least I think there's an element of certainty now. And I think as as you, as you mentioned, Peter, we've got we're not using the R, R rate now as a test. We're looking at you know infection rates, hospitals, and things like that. So let's let's hope things continue to point in the positive way. And um, just before we we finish, Jeff, do you think you know we we talked you've talked about hospitality, you've talked about retail. Do we think as the stages go, we'll see more kind of rising in the markets or do we think some of that's already been cooked in and, and, and assumed? I think some of that's that's baked in um, to an extent. And that's why I think it's now about how we see the, the delivery of the businesses as they do reopen over the next number of months. And that will you'll provide a degree of support, but they may allow the market to, to, to push on as well. Uh, I, I think the other thing that we have to think about is really just how the global economy continues to recover. And that will be as equally as important for, for what happens with, with UK assets. So the way we think about that from the, the, the portfolio perspective is wanting to have that diversified exposure to various different economic drivers and economic scenarios that, that may play out over the coming months. So yes, as we see things improve, it should be supportive. But I think the other thing that we always have to keep at the back of our mind is that equity markets are, are discounting mechanisms. They look to the future and, and think about what, what may or may not be happening there. But that being said, um, as things start to continue to improve, people go out to spend. One of the things that you know, maybe we, we, we haven't touched on, but if we think about where savings rates have got to and the, 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 the rate of, of pent up demand that's there. So, you know, we go back to second quarter last year when people couldn't spend, savings rates was some 27% of household income. It's still sort of 16 17 percent look at the the longer run average that we get there it's you know probably five to seven percent so there is there is pent-up demand there is savings that could be used um as as people are you know like we've talked about here able to to travel able to go out book hotels have have holidays you know those are all things that will put more uh, capital into the economy and it, it, it will be a positive from a, an economic growth perspective on which it should then help equity markets as well. And one just thing to heads up for next week is it's the budget on Wednesday of next week as well. So by the time this podcast returns, we'll know what he's announced. So I imagine yeah. there'll be a lot more in there. There'll be some, probably a few nasty surprises buried down the, you know, on page 210, but uh, I'm quite sure there'll be a bit of some exciting announcements in there as yeah. well for next week. And that's that's I think that's that that's what we're doing next week's podcast on as well, Peter. Is the 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 debrief on that side of things. Um, but 
yeah, more 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 to come with that. So, and I think you know, Jeff, when you you talk about the the pent up demand from the saving side of things, obviously as Peter's dropped in his birthday on May the eighteenth, and is it your fortieth this year, Peter? No, that was last year. So last I, had year. That, oh. I had that. Uh, I had that. You're older yeah. than you. That's right. He looks very young. It does so, look very young, but the, but but because your birthday was in lockdown last year, Peter, it doesn't count. And with your yeah. your pent up savings that you've got, I, I know you'd be putting a big birthday bash on for all of us. Well, that's quite right. That, that's why I said to Boris, I wrote to him and said, "Listen, if you can just get the pubs open on the 17th, and then at least I can have a hangover on my birthday." So he, he listened. You know, it's no one should say that but they don't listen. You know, I sent a letter in, and he's done it. So there you go. Yeah. Oh. Could you maybe send one I mean, north you, of the border to get the something similar up here? Because I'm not no, exactly I, I sure did, when I they did, might Jeff, open here. I did. I said keep them locked up, and he has. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't, would Thank you. you. I mean, by the way, Peter still sends sends letters into Santa Claus every year as well. So <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting, Danny. What, what happens in the? Uh, I'm not going to do what everybody else does and predict the budget. I think uh, we'll we're better waiting for the. I think we've already spoken in other podcasts that uh, as a business person I'm hoping that you know we don't kill growth I, I, I saw a chart uh, a couple of days ago looking at the rate of innovation for the UK has been is the lowest you know it's like a long term uh, thing but the, the, the amount of R&D we spend is only higher than Italy um, and of course in Italy you wouldn't know what to spend on anything you know um, so, and that's a sign of how countries get get wealthy. You know, huge innovation in the USA, for example, there's huge innovation in China, and Britain used to have, but you know, over the last 20, 30 years, policies and education and mostly just lack of jobs. So we'll see. I, I also saw a nice piece, Peter, about our friends down on Teesside. You know, using huge amounts of uh, blighted land to rebuild the economy on Teesside and uh, a, a political like renaissance there where they're welcoming people and, uh, you know, likely to be a free port there, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see. I do, incidentally, Danny, just, just a, a final point. We've been trying to get supplies in for one of my projects, uh, and it's actually, uh, there's quite quite a bit of this, say about 15% of the stuff that we're getting is getting turned back and getting held up at the at, at ports and abroad. So there's yeah. certainly a, a problem with uh, trade at the moment. And I think once we've, no doubt we'll sort that out, you know, um, but like a lot of things, it isn't just on the other side, it's our side as well. People checking things that don't need to be checked, you know, like checking the chandelier in case it's got a sheep hidden in it, you know. Um, there are the, the all sorts of, of stuff, uh, unnecessary uh, paperwork. So we do need to sweep that away and become much more free trading. Uh, but, you know, we're just getting it. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bullish. I'm pretty optimistic about Britain's chances. Uh, frankly, over the long yeah. term, uh, and I think that is reflected in the strength of the pound. The strengthening of the pound, you know, I, I'm, I, I, it's one of the few things I look at every single day. I've been buying pounds now for uh, buying dollars, sorry, for since it was below one thirty, and it's it's been quite a quite a decent run. 
in there because uh, I do buy, I do need money for dollar assets both now and in the future. So I think, uh, you know, it started, it, it all goes well. I, I, I think we're only ticking along at 20 to 30 percent of what we could be doing as a nation right now. Um, get back to work, get, get uh, you know, the trading thing and trade deals. I mean, we've done a huge amount of trade deals that nobody's even talked about. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, uh, uh, we've yet to see the benefits of those things here, but there are undoubted big, big benefits of uh, being free of that. I, 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 I'm not a, you know, I don't want to be silly. I'd, I'd never believed in the EU <clears throat> in terms of it being a federation. I think as a common trading area, as a free trade area, I think great idea. Um, but bear in mind, it's only free trade if you're inside it. So and we're beginning to see the cracks open up in there. I think Germany, Germany, Germany's need for cheap gas and cheap oil and all the rest of it and all the rest of the stuff which is going on with Russia, that would begin to create a big issue there for, for our federalist friends. Anyway, it's a different topic, um, but that was meant to end on a, from my point of view, a high point. I think we, uh, we, we're good. I, I think to summarize, I think the roadmap is too long. It's too long a road. I think, you know, it could have been shortened by at least a month. I think that uh, we do damage to businesses at our peril because some businesses will not uh, exist coming out of this. That's sorting out, if you like, the weak from the, the strong, you could argue. However, um, it probably took, you know, if every business closes, it takes five to six to 10 years to get that business to that point. These aren't something you should switch on. Yeah. Politicians don't understand that because mostly politicians haven't started businesses. Oh, good, 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 great, great summary, David. So I'll, I'll not, I'll not say any more. So um, thank you very much, uh, David. Uh, thank you very much, Peter. And thank you very much, Jeff, uh, for all of your input uh, today, gentlemen. And, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, as well for for, for tuning in. Um, hopefully, you share our optimism and you know reasons to be happy, reasons to look forward as as well. So. Thanks, everybody. Uh, please don't forget to like and subscribe this video. Uh, please don't forget to tune in next week as well when we'll, we'll debrief some of the, the, the budget. Uh, so thanks, everybody. Have a lovely weekend and speak to you next week. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Thank Bye you. Subscribing to True Potential YouTube channel is quick and easy. Simply go to your YouTube app on your phone, type in True Potential and press the red subscribe option. You'll then be notified as and when new videos are released.